Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Good morning Life Changes. Thank you, Quinton. Quinton is pulpit man today. <laughs> Every week. That's rude, but funny. Um, really amazing to be here this morning. Welcome to church. Welcome to Life Changes. If you are... Um, if you're visiting us for the first time or you're wondering who are these strange people up front, um, I think Mark has got birds on his shirt, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, but just flower, flowers, that's better. Um, but really amazing to, to be able to host you and have you part of uh, the, the meeting today and just to be able to celebrate with you. And we'd love to get to know you. And we believe in community. We believe in family. And so if you are here for the first time, we have Guest Central at the back, which we use to facilitate meeting new people. But actually, it really is there because we want to get to know you, want to find out a little bit about your world um, and do life together. Is that good? My name is Tyler. As Mark said, I'm part of the team here. I'm running my own coffee business, which is really, really exciting. Part of the church staff two days a week um, and get to lead. We're really excited for this new season. My wife and I, we're um, filled with faith and excitement for what God's doing in our evening congregation, but also across the board. It's been incredible to see since we launched, I think it's just about a year ago, we went to two meetings on a Sunday morning and how God has added people and our evening congregation and seeing 150 odd people worshiping in the city. Um, and that was probably one of the highlights for, for me for a long time. It's just worshiping together in that incredible venue. So God's on the move and we're really excited and I've got faith for what God is doing. Welcome to church. Um, this morning I get to preach and I promise I won't be long. Um, But what I do trust as I preach this morning, that God would do something special in your hearts. And I've got two desires this morning. My first desire is that by the end of this morning, you would have a bigger picture of Jesus. Because if we are doing Sunday moments well and church well together, when we leave moments like this, we should have a bigger picture of our Savior. We should be going, Jesus is more incredible than I could ever have imagined. And my second desire is that you would have a better understanding and revelation. And revelation is a really big word, but fundamentally what it means is that I have a heart understanding of what Jesus has done for you. And you might be here this morning and going, well, I have never made a commitment to Christ. I'm checking out this church thing. I'm wanting to know more about Christianity. You might be in this room and you've been serving God for 40, 50, 60 years. I want to say to you, that God has more for you. He wants you to know him better. He has more relationship for you. And actually this morning, my desire is that actually you would have a bigger understanding of what he's done for you. I firmly believe that this Christian life that we get to spend 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, if you do really well, years on this earth, I believe that our lives as believers in Christ is very simply to know God more is very simply to have a greater relationship with Jesus. And yes, interwoven into that is um, marriage and kids and, and singleness and jobs and life and family. And all of those things are woven into that journey. But I believe that fundamentally we exist to have a relationship with Christ and to grow that relationship, to get to know Him better. When I am 60 years old, I pray that I would know Jesus better than I do today. And it is a tragedy when people hit crisis and rather than pushing into God, they step away from him. And actually it's in crisis, it's in those moments that God's saying, I've got more relationship for you. I've got more for you. I want you to grow in your dependence of me. 
And so this morning, we're going to be looking at a really exciting scripture. It's at the end of the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 27. Matthew is one of the gospels. It's four, uh, one of four books that tell the story of Jesus' life. If you've never read them, please can I encourage you to read them. They really are phenomenal. If you have your Bible with you, please open to Matthew 27, verse 46. If you don't have your Bible with you, don't worry, we're going to put it on the screen. It goes a little something like this. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabatani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, the man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge filled with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Father, as we read your scriptures this morning, I pray that you would mold and shape us, God. We are clay in your hands, God. We want to become more like your son, Jesus. I pray, Father, you would use this word this morning to teach us more of who you are. We would fall more in love with you, King Jesus. And we would start to look more and more like the church that you dreamt of, Jesus. I pray, Father, that you would shape us and mold us into Christ-like people this morning. Amen. Now, some of you might be hearing this text and going, well, I'm not actually 100% sure where this fits in. Well, I want to explain what has happened is Jesus has gone through three years of ministry. He's seen the deaf hear. He's seen the blind see. He's raised the dead. He's, God has been using him in phenomenal ways and all leading up to his salvation, all leading up to this moment that, uh, or he, where he would die and bring us salvation. And it's been building and building and building. And then what happens is, um, as, and actually as was prophesied about the Messiah, Jesus is betrayed by Judas. He's arrested. He's taken before the authorities. The authorities um, accuse him wrongly. So he's actually not guilty of anything. Yet they uh, sentence him to crucifixion. And what happens is he's beaten, they put a crown of thorns on his head, and then they march him up to Golgotha where he carries his own cross to the top of Golgotha, and there he's crucified. He's placed on a cross, um, nails through his hands and through his feet. And in this moment for them, and, and it's, I think it's so interesting how they mention these bystanders, these people standing there having no real idea of the ramifications of the moment that they are in. Can you imagine for them, they were like, well, this is just normal. It, it's crucifixions were, were a common way of, of, of sentencing. And so this was happening. There were actually two men on either side of Jesus also being crucified. And all of a sudden, there's this moment, and Jesus shouts, and, and other, you'll read another, it says, he shouted out, it is finished. He yielded up his spirit. He said, God, I am doing what you called me to do, to die for the sins of the many. John 3.16, a famous scripture that many, many would have heard. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That scripture is coming to fruition in this moment. Arms out shouting, it is finished. And the salvation power of God meets earth in that moment. 
And the earth responds. And actually, there's this earthquake. And I love how it says the men who were watching him, Jesus had not been raised yet. He had died. And they witnessed this moment. And they exclaimed, truly, this must be the Son of God. You see, when the power of God is at work, it changes its surroundings. And actually, there's this radical moment that happens in the middle of history, and history is split by this moment where Jesus died for the sins of the world. And actually, there's this phenomenal line that I've read the Scripture so many times and so frequently I've overlooked the Scripture. It says this, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, for some of you, you read the rest of this and you go, wow, the rocks cracked. There was an earthquake. It's a big moment. Jesus has just died. He's fulfilled the prophecies. He's, he's, um, our sin has been nailed to his cross. Just this huge moment. And then there's this line that just says, the curtain was torn in two. And I hope this morning you're okay with a little bit of a history lesson. But what I'd love to, to just explain a little bit of is what did this mean? What did it mean when they say the curtain was torn in two? Well, very simply, is in the Jewish um, religion, there was a way of worshiping God, and that was in the temple. And the temple was built, and the temple had three sections. It had the outer court, the inner court, and then a place called the Holy of Holies. And basically, the way it worked was the outer court was used for general sacrifices. And, and it, so what they would do as a people to atone for their sins, as the law had commanded, is they would um, have sacrifices of animals... And they would do this, and the normal people would have this in the outer courts. Then in the inner courts, the priests would um, do sacrifices to atone for the sins of the people. But then there was this very special place in the temple, and that was called the Holy of Holies. And inside the Holy of Holies, there were some very special things. One of those things was the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was this beautiful um, thing that represented the covenant of God with His people. So effectively, what that thing did is it represented their relationship with God. The way it worked, how it worked, the way that they would do things. They also had a thing called the table of incense where they would burn incense. And that was a picture of the presence of God. And they had something else called the bread of the presence. And effectively, all of these items meant that inside the Holy of Holies dwelt the presence of God. The perfect, pure, blameless life of God presenced in the Holy of Holies. The same presence that created the world was present in this temple. And because of the way that God had mandated them to, to, re, um, to, to relate to Him, is that they had a way that once a year, only once a year, a high priest would be allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was covered by an enormous curtain, an enormous curtain. And once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, and they had a system. He would do an extra sacrifice just in case someone had committed a sin that they didn't know about. They had committed it by accident. And so what he would do is he would do an extra sacrifice just to make sure, because he was the guy going in there. And if he went in and they had not done the sacraments the way they were supposed to, he would die because he was entering in to the blameless place. And sin could not stand before a perfect God. And so what they would do is they would tie a rope around his ankle and they would put a bell on that rope and he would walk into the Holy of Holies, present the offering to God, and if they stopped hearing the bell, they would pull him out. It's just this very intense moment that would happen once a year. I can imagine just before he goes in to the Holy of Holies, I can imagine the high priest, looking back at the smaller priests, 
I don't imagine they were too much smaller. And going, are you guys sure? Are you sure you did these sacrifices right? Because I'm going, in, not you, me. And the other guy's like, go for it, enjoy. Actually, but it was this radical moment that once a year, the people could engage with the presence of God. And there was this enormous curtain. And for some of you, you would imagine a curtain at your home. They're generally just the size of your window. You buy them in Mr. Price home. They've got a wonderful selection. The more you pay, the thicker they get, which is great. The less you pay, the less you sleep, which is also good. But actually, the reality is you can, we have this image of this. But actually, this curtain was 18 meters high, which is three and a half of this building. And nine meters wide. It was this enormous curtain that they, I would imagine, spent an inordinate amount of time making to house the presence of God. And in a moment, when Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice, the Bible teaches us that that curtain was split in two. And what that represented was that from that moment on, there was no longer a separation between man and God. There was no longer a separation between us accessing the presence of God. In that moment, by Jesus' doing, not man's, God was made available to humanity again. You see, the reason I think it's so profound that that curtain was as big as it was, and the reason that I tell you that, is because it was impossible for a man to tear that curtain. It was too big, it was inaccessible, it was enormous. And in a moment, an earthquake happens, the rocks crack. But this very specific thing that God does, he tears the curtain in half. What he's saying to us is actually you have been given access to the Father again. You see, through Jesus' sacrifice, we have access to God. And I think, unfortunately, so many of us live with a mentality that the curtain is still closed. I think often we actually try and close the curtain ourselves. Because we process it through the lens of, well, I don't deserve this. Well, actually, I want to tell you this morning, grace is undeserved. I want to tell you this morning that actually the curtain being torn has nothing to do with you and everything to do with Jesus. And we can live in the presence and life of God because of the power of Jesus' sacrifice. It couldn't be torn by accident. It's impossible for someone to tear themselves. It was a miraculous declaration of what God had done in Jesus. No more separation. No more removal from the presence of God. No more atoning over and over again. He atoned once in his sacrifice on the cross. One priest named Jesus paid the ultimate price for us. And this morning what I'd love to speak about is, 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 is three things that I believe we've been given. And, and fundamentally what I, it is, is we've been given access. And the first thing that we've been given access to is God's presence. His presence, the person of the Father. In Hebrews 10, and, and actually if you have a moment afterwards or this afternoon or whenever you have a moment, go read Hebrews 9 and 10. It's this phenomenal explanation of, of the power of this moment when that curtain tore. And in Hebrews 10, verse 19 to 22, it says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, His body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. 
I don't know about you, but there's something about that. God, I want to draw near to you with a sincere heart and full assurance. Because of Jesus, I have full assurance that I can access the presence of God. I don't have a limited assurance. I don't have an assurance dependent on my behavior. I have full assurance. That is what this means for us. John Piper makes this phenomenal statement. He says, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. We are designed, so man, for relationship with Jesus. And the challenge is that so often we allow things to get in the way of the full access that we have been given. The curtain is torn, it is open, but for some strange reason, we try to close it all the time. When God's saying, enter into my presence, you'll find healing, you'll find life, you'll find freedom. You see, we've been given access to a father in heaven, not a religious leader, not a set of rules, not a, a priest that we get access to God through. No, we have been given direct access to the father. The Bible teaches us, and we use the scripture often, but because we believe it passionately, it says that if, if our earthly fathers give us good gifts, how much more the father in heaven? How much more do I desire to access the presence of my father in heaven? Another truth that we learn from this is no longer is there a once a year moment where we can access the presence of God. Actually, we can access the presence of God anytime. There is no longer stipulations as to when you can be with your father. See, my wife is my best friend in the world. I love spending time with her. Imagine I sent her an email and said, babe, I can do next week Thursday for an hour. We can hang out. That's it. Other than that, that's when my reserved time for you is. Do you think my marriage would do well? No, no, it would not do well. No, because God has designed us for relationship. But why do so many of us reserve an hour and a half on a Sunday to connect with God? This is a blessing. This is community worshiping together. But this is not the only time that we should be in the presence of God. And for some of you sitting here this morning, you might be running, well, I don't understand this presence of God thing. Well, sir, ma'am, I would say to you, it is very simply a personal relationship with the Father in heaven that comes only through the blood of Jesus. We can access it any time. We can access it with confidence. You don't have to second guess yourself anymore. Once we are in Christ, we have full access. We can enter without fear. I think so many people have got this thought process around God that he is this angry God in heaven who wants to judge you and hurt you. I want to tell you that because of Jesus, we have access to a father who loves us passionately, who loves us deeply, who wants to know our names. The Bible says that he knows every hair on our head. You know what I love? I think this is such a beautiful display of the heart of God is in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we see the fall and God, because he is holy and because he sticks to his word, Adam and Eve sin, he removes them from the garden. But you know what the Bible says? It says, and God went with them. Even in the midst of the worst travesty in human history, God went with his people. Why? Because he loves us passionately. He loves you, sir or ma'am. This is not reserved for a pastor or a preacher or a theologian, or any of those things, the love of God is made accessible to every single human being on the earth. It is a personal relationship, not for anybody else, but you. How cool is that? You get to have a personal relationship with the Savior of the world. We have access to His presence, and we've got to stop trying to close the curtain. We have to accept in our heart that because of God, it's torn, it's open. Swing it as wide open as you can. I want so much more of Jesus. Number one, we have access to his presence. 
Number two, we have access to His grace. Now, grace for many people is a big topic. It's a, 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 a topic that many people argue about and have many opinions on. I want to tell you fundamentally, the grace of God is that Jesus died for you and gave you unlimited access to the Father. That is the grace of God. It was undeserved. We did not deserve it. We deserve the opposite. But God chose to give it. That is His grace. Hebrews 9.12 puts it so beautifully. It said, He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but He entered the most holy place once and for all by His own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. I don't know about you, but that's a scripture you must write down and learn and know. Why? Because actually, once and for all, once and for every single one of us, Jesus won the victory on the cross. You know, I think so often we get into this insecure uh, reality where we go, you know, I, I can see it's for them and I can see it's for the next person, but is it for me? Of course it's for you. Jesus did it for you. You have access to his grace. You see, he didn't just, uh, and I love this picture of actually that curtain when it tore, what Jesus did is he tore sin in two. He said, this thing will no longer inhibit my people from having relationship with me. He tore shame and guilt in two. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're going, I feel such shame and such guilt for the things I've done. I want to tell you, sir or ma'am, Jesus tore that curtain in two. Stop trying to stitch it back together. Stop trying to go, I know I'm free, but there is no but. It's just Jesus. We so often try and hitch the trailer back on. God's like, no, take it off. No, back on. Take it off. Trust God that he's torn it in two. Stop trying to take your past and force it onto your present. God has got something phenomenal for you. But you've got to believe that he's torn it in two. You see, we lean back into our shame so quickly. And you know what God's saying? Lean into my freedom. We lean into our fear. And God's saying, lean into my trust. Trust me. Trust me that I have your future in my hands. I love it. This week, um, as I mentioned earlier, I was an impromptu story. But I am running my own coffee business, and it's a coffee roastery. And one of the key parts of a coffee roaster, roastery is a coffee roaster, a very important part of the whole business. Um, and I was busy roasting a batch on, I think, Saturday. And all of a sudden, my roaster decided, nope, not going to work anymore. And you can imagine I'm going, okay. I've got orders to get out. I've got all of these things. I'm busy processing. And I've been on, I've been on email to Taiwan for the last five days because they've got to send me uh, parts and it's all happening. And, it's, and I'm frustrated. And I'm irritated. And I'm like, I just have to push through and push through and push through. And on Wednesday afternoon, I'll be very honest, I was sitting on the couch very mopey, very, very mopey. I was like, I can't do any work. It's not working. And I do enjoy my wife. She just walks past me and goes, have you prayed? I was like, yes, I've prayed. And then I was like, okay fine, I'll pray. <laughs> and I prayed, and literally, I kid you not, and I believe this is God's divine intervention, I walked, I, I prayed, and I got up very grumpily, went to Checkers, because I had to buy bread and milk, and while I was in Checkers, a thought popped into my head of someone I could contact who might be able to help me. Contacted them, three days later, I've got a different roaster to use. Now, from you, you might be going, oh, that's just coincidence. I want to say to you that actually when we trust God, when we lean out of our fear and lean into our trust, God brings His power. And I'm going, thank you, Jesus. I can sell my coffee again. Just got to pay the bills. <laughs> yeah, amen. 
and you're drinking it this morning. Amen. Um, when we come near to God, He sees Jesus. Stop letting your guilt hold you. Stop letting your shame hold you. The Bible says that we are clothed, clothed with His righteousness. So when God comes to you and you're going, oh, I'm sinful, I'm shameful, I'm all of these things, you know what He sees? Jesus. That is the power of God. That is the power of redemption. Colossians 1.14 says, We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. When the enemy, when the world, when trials come at you and they're saying, No, you're not worthy, you don't deserve it, I want to tell you, quote the scripture at them. I have redemption through His blood. I am made pure, I am made free, I am made clean through His blood. The final thought I'd love to share with you this morning is we have access to His power. In Hebrews 9.14, it says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself unblemished blemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that led to death so that we may serve the living God? I don't know about you. Some of you in this room may be going, I, I need a clear conscience. It's a promise given by God's Word. The blood of Jesus, the torn curtain, the access to God's presence will clear your conscience it will take you out of death, and not only that, it will give you the power to serve Him. You see, there's a phenomenal moment in, in Jesus' ministry. He dies, He rises again three days later. It's this phenomenal thing. Then He spends a, a period of time with His disciples teaching them about the kingdom of God. And He's teaching them and teaching them and teaching them, and, and eventually He gets to the end of teaching them, and He goes, guys, I'm, I'm going again. And you can imagine the disciples' confusion. But you, you just, and we thought you were, and then you rose again, and we were excited, and now you're going again. And you can imagine the disciples are like, we haven't understood most of what he's been doing, so we're just going to go with it. But then he makes this promise. He says, I will send you the Holy Spirit. I'll send you a gift. And with that gift will come power. Power to change the world. I'm paraphrasing. But there will be power to transform the world inside you through His Holy Spirit. See, the challenge is I think we defer responsibility. We go, oh no, someone else will take care of that. Gabe and Mark will plant the church in the city. No, we are planting a church in the city. Gabe and Mark will do that. This person will do that. My, my boss will build the business. No, God has called you to bring His transformative power in the world that you live in. And the only way to live in His transformative power is to allow His Holy Spirit power to dwell inside of you. Step through the curtain and trust Him and ask Him, Lord, I need your power. You see, when we live in the power of God, we are able to live a Christian life, a Christ-like life that is powerful and transformative to our world. You see, I believe that Christians are the catalysts that will see the world change. In economics, in schooling, in education, in finance, in all of those things, I believe that the catalysts are sitting in this room. Courtney over there is about to finish her, um, her teaching degree. There's a couple of months left. I want to say to you, Courts, you are the transformation in the education system. Whether it be here, whether it be in Germany, whether it be anywhere, God will use you to do that. Because He has designed you for it. He's placed you there. And I want to say it's true for every single one of you. But the challenge is we expect a preacher to do it. Actually, our resources are very limited. I've spent more time with people who are not believers since I've started the business than I did for a long time before that. And that was part of my motivation is, God, I want to engage the world with your gospel. 
Yes, I've got to deliver coffee. Yes, I've got to organize a roaster. Yes, I've got to do all of those things. But fundamentally, the core of my life is relationship with Jesus, the presence of God, and furthering His kingdom. It's really simple. When we start making it complicated, things start getting muddy. They start getting messy. I want to say to you, sir or ma'am, this morning, you might have been serving God for the last 40 or 50 years. He has got more for you. You might have gotten saved this morning during worship. I want to tell you, he has got more for you. The Holy Spirit is working. We have access to his presence. We have access to his grace, his sustaining grace, his grace that brings freedom and life. And we have access to the power that will change the world. We're going to take a moment now because I believe that with preaching on the presence of God, you have to take a moment to be in the presence of God. And there's this amazing piece of scripture in James 4.8. It says very simply this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. When I was 15 years old, I went to a youth ministry in Malkbos Strand. It's called MBF, Malkbos Baptist Fellowship is the church. And a friend of mine invited me there and he said to me, hey, why don't you come? We were going for the girls. That's why we went to youth. Um, I'm being honest. And we arrived at youth, and I just, I remember my first interaction, I didn't have any cool clothes, so my cousin borrowed me a pair of jeans that were way too big, and they kept falling down. I distinctly remember this, and, and I went into this church, and, and, and we walked in 130, 140 teenagers all over the shower. I thought I was in paradise. I was like, friends. Um, and I went into this, this church, and, and, and we hung out, and we played pool, and we did all sorts, and And then they said, hey, come inside. And I didn't have much experience with church. And I remember walking into the back of their auditorium and and there was a marsh pit of teenagers in front. And I thought, that's very sweaty. I'm not going to go there. Um, And and I just stood at the back with my friend over here who was a little bit shorter than me. And I just remember as they started to sing the songs, I didn't have experience with it. I didn't know much about church. But they started to sing these songs. They started to sing about Jesus, and I started to experience the presence of God. I started to experience the person of Jesus. And I remember as I experienced the person of Jesus, I started to fall in love with Him. And through that process of, I didn't know much about the Bible. I remember I used to open it to random spots and read something and go, that's cool. Sometimes people were dying a lot. I was like, oh, got another page. And I just remember starting to learn who Christ was. And Colossians encourages us. It says, carry on the way you started. Now, when we fall in love with Jesus for the first time, we're enamored with his presence and his person. And then we start getting complicated. I want to say to you, the presence of God is simple. And I remember in that youth ministry, Friday after Friday, eventually my mate stopped going and I kept going and worshiping. And eventually I ended up in the marsh pit in the front. And I just started feeling God start to change me. Why? Because I started to understand from a very, very early Christian life that I had access to the presence of God. I want to tell you, I wasn't living a perfect life by any stretch of the imagination. But God was working. And when we walk into a moment where we can access the presence of God and we disqualify ourselves before we even get there, we shortchange what God has got for us. And slowly but surely through his presence, I fell in love with Jesus and my life started to change and I started changing and making different decisions and valuing different things. Why? Not because I read a bunch of rules, because I slowly but surely fell more and more in love with Jesus. Can I ask us to stand? We're going to sing together. Father, I pray as your people, can I just ask you to close your eyes? We want to, this is a moment with you and Jesus.
Just as we worship now, Father, I pray that your presence would flood our hearts, God. It's a simple request. In James, you say, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. We're saying, God, we want to draw near to you, Father. We want to draw near to the Savior of the world. We declare this morning, Jesus, that the curtain is torn and we have access to you, Father. We declare this morning, Jesus, that the curtain is torn and your grace has enabled us to know you, God. And this morning we say, Jesus, we ask for your presence. Maybe you're standing here and you're going, I've never experienced the presence of God before. It's very simple. Just ask. Jesus, I pray for your love and your power and your grace and your goodness and your kindness to flood over this room, Father. I pray as we sing now, would you heal hearts, God? Would you bring freedom where captivity has reigned, God? Would you open the curtain on people's realities, Father, and let them see you, Jesus? Would you wash away shame? Would you wash away guilt? Would you wash away fear, God? Would you replace it with trust in you, God?